What happened? What happened? Let me find my notes. What did I do this weekend? I'm trying to think of what I did. Oh, I started my schedule. I guess I could say that. Mm-hmm. The Apple thing. So Apple employees. Let me ask Emily. Let me yell, yell at Emily because, God, I can't even think of what I did. Emily! What did I do? Tim and Tom. Uh, you know what, man? I didn't do much this weekend. We had some friends in town. Yes, you did? Yeah. I thought you got into a wreck. That was yesterday. Yes, man. We had the ice storm, and tonight there's supposed to be more added on top of it. So I'm leaving work. It was uh, Tuesday afternoon, and I'm going down a hill on this road, and uh, somebody in the car is just trying, and they're not being absurdly breaking hard or anything. They're just stopping to make a right turn into this apartment complex parking lot, and I hit my brakes. Not hard either but just enough that i'm going down a hill and i was sliding on ice and i was like well i'm going to rear in this person or i'm going to veer into oncoming traffic or i'm going to try to just skate right beside them and get into the parking lot before they do right and hope they don't turn into me was basically my dilemma as i'm freaking out right so i do that i kind of cream off to the side hit that go right past them and slide but then i just clank right into the side of the curb and it bent my rim popped the valve stem broke it basically off my tire so my tire is just just going flat and i'm standing there looking at it but there's no other body damage as, as far as i can tell the hubcaps you know it was a hubcap on that thing it was laying in a ditch you know broken and i was just like ah oh, great so i had to put on a it's freezing cold uh, i'm in work clothes so i'm in slacks changing a tire oh. just you know what i mean enjoying life and then you know the, the gentleman's you know comes over and he's like oh man are you okay and i'm like i mean yeah you know and i was like i was just making sure i was trying not to hit you man you know and he was like no thanks you know what i mean i was like yeah you know what i mean he knew he wasn't in the wrong how he's breaking and it was just you know luckily i missed him so and then you know nobody really got hurt so well let's hold on let me talk through let's let's talk through what happened so Uh okay so so the wreck happens Mm -hmm. you're in slacks yeah you have to change a tire yeah are you getting dirty like are you in the slush of like snow and dirt no so i'm in a parking lot entryway like you know how like if you're going down the street Mm -hmm. and then they've got that little just entry exit and then the lot opens up so i'm right there i'm kind of blocking the exit lane basically at this point because that's where i slid right i got my flashers on no so i did work for long years ago i mean decades ago as a tire uh, mechanic uh, you know what i mean tires and oil changes and stuff like that so really yeah, Hold on. Not, yeah uh-huh. really mm-hmm. so yeah. you know you're, you're skilled at that yeah i mean yeah i mean in so much as you know yeah i can operate the jack and take off the tire and all that so no i wasn't necessarily getting dirty other than yeah i mean it's it's snowy and it's cold and you're handling greasy stuff so yeah you know what i mean i was getting stuff i was like well you know what i mean hope this comes out that kind of stuff but i was wearing uh some boots because i knew it was an icy day so you know and i had a heavy coat and gloves and stuff already because it was a cold day so it just still wasn't the greatest experience you know and i was sitting here like i even left work a little early because it was died down and everybody was leaving to try to you know get home and i was like man i should just stay at work you know what i mean <laughs> like and boy you rarely say that and you know it's just like <laughs> So I was just like, great. And I'm calling my wife and I'm like, hey, I don't know if I'm going to be stranded because I was going to put the spare on, but I didn't know if I'd caused any like suspension problems or anything. But I knew once I got that rim on and started driving, I would know at least that it would be safe or not. So I had to call her and let her know like, hey, you might need to come get me. I don't know how this is going to work. Hold on. Hold on. Let's talk through that. Yep. So you call it. You say, uh-huh. I got some bad news. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, what's I said. Her first, what's her first reaction? So I said, hey. And she Well, she answered. She goes, hey. And I was like, hey. I may be stranded here a little bit. And she goes, what do you mean? Well, kind of a little bit of a 
kind of an accident. I was like, I didn't hit anybody else, but this tire is obviously screwed up. I got to put a spare on and see if it'll still work. And she was like, well, you think you can get all that done? And I was like, yeah, I can do that. Not a problem. She was like, well, call me if you need me. Basically, you know, it was kind of an easy conversation. So fend for yourself. <laughs> I mean, if, if I would have said, hey, I need you to come get me, she would have came get me. Yeah, but we, yeah. I was probably 25 minutes away drive from her so i didn't want to just be like waiting you know if i so could are you in it. the doghouse does oh, a wreck no. get you in the doghouse no i mean snowy sleety day man, come on give me some juice here there's nothing happened she didn't get pissed <laughs> no, no no and th- i mean that has been the case i have been in my lifetime especially younger and maybe even a little not so far distant past uh not the safest driver as far as like you know i would speed i'd get speeding tickets she would get mad about that if i was texting and you know hit somebody you know she'd get mad about that you could be doing everything right on a ice true covered day and i minimized every bit of damage i could i could have rear-ended somebody i could have went into oncoming traffic i could have flipped into that ditch not flipped but just rolled into it you know what i mean like there could have been a number of horrible things that happened to explain it all you're left with no choice but to go all right man well let's get out of here and drive safe i did that and i went to uh, the store i have some of the the tire protection you ever buy that when you buy tires where you know we'll replace it if you get it flat before mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. so but now i'm you know probably half through the life of these tires so i was like eh, maybe i'll get 50 bucks you know but i know i need a new rim i want to make sure i haven't caused any damages that need to get fixed also i'm sure i'll need an alignment probably needed that anyway all those kind of things so i take it to them and the guy he was like oh well all right let's take a look at it and they look at it for time. I mean, not much longer than I was talking to you as we were having mm-hmm. messages back and forth. He comes back out and he goes, man, I think you got really lucky in this. And I was like, why? And he goes, well, you messed up the rim. I mean, that's gone. I mean, you really effed that up. I, so I don't know if the tire will work. I don't see any visible holes, but I won't know until I get a rim. So I got to order you a rim. And then he goes, you know, we'll do the alignment. And he goes, but I don't see that you damaged any, like, any steering, any axles, any any tie rods, any any kind of stuff like that. Great. You know I mean, I was like, that's a first Right now, yeah. I get like the lucky end of stuff like that. So, uh, you know, thankfully everyone was all right. I didn't hit anybody. I didn't wind up injured. Uh, just my pride a little bit. Had to sit out there in the cold a little bit while I changed the tire. And then have everybody but, look at you while you're on a donut in the ice. Uh, right. Well, so then do you play, do you play almost like a war hero to your kids? Like, kids, let me tell you what dad did today. I, I did. suffered through the snow. Decided yeah. to spare a man's life. Swerved out of the way. Uh-huh. and yep. save the day for everyone save involved. Did you, and did then, you, yeah, did you and do that? And then in my slacks, I got down in the grime and the freezing ice, and I took my strength, and I broke each of them lug nuts right off the rim. No, I don't even think the kids know. I don't even know that well, they know. Come on. You, gotta, you should have saved face with someone. You should have been like, listen to what your dad did. Your dad's uh, pretty awesome. Yeah. It's rare, I think, when you, you have as much time as I did to know, like, I'm about to wreck. You usually get that, oh, and then time might seem to slow down, but you really don't have a whole lot of time to do much. You've been in some accidents before, I'm assuming, maybe. Oh, I've been in one accidents. horrible one. Oftentimes, you just don't know. I mean, my wife was hit recently uh, before we had bought this home but we hadn't moved in yet and we were showing my mother who was in from out of town where it is and uh, at the intersection right down from my now home uh, we got hit and we saw that coming but you really can't do much about it i had so much time to like plan out i was like okay well not going left that's oncoming traffic it's only like a two-lane road so can't really go right because mm-hmm. it's kind of a steep ditch i'm gonna rear in this guy and then as i'm going i'm like please don't turn into me please don't turn into me please don't turn into me because he's still trying to turn right and i don't even know if he knows this is happening and then I, i'm like driving right by him looking at him freaked out and i see him look over like oh and then you know i saw 
slide in and hit the curb. And that's when he kind of pulls up. He's like, are you all right? We're alive, right? Now. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Now I am. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So that did happen. So, yeah, man, waiting on a, on a rim and see where we go from there. But I went from thinking I might have caused thousands of dollars of damage to uh, potentially hundreds. Look at you making the right decisions to spare a catastrophe. Tim and Tom. So I went to Ikea for the first time. Did I already no. tell you this? No. Now, I love Ikea. And I first time I went to Ikea was in Germany. Uh, went to a couple of them there. And so when they were building this one here, I was like, yes. In fact, and, and before you get into the story, we had chairs that we had bought in Germany that one had broken. And this was years prior. And we were like, you don't think. You know, they were opening the new Ikea. And we were like, you don't think they still got the same chairs in there, do you? And sure enough, there they were. So we got our chair to match the set that we bought in Germany for the one that had broken. How about that? Ikea. Well, look at that. Now, how was your experience? Ikea. Okay, so uh, I went with Emily because I needed someone to hold my hand to yes. make sure that I was safe through yes. the process. Yes, and, and follow the arrows. We, yeah, and so we get there. First off, yeah, the arrows did feel a little weird. Now, it wasn't as bad as what I was told. I was under the impression that, like, you can't go backwards, right? Oh, so, like, yeah, keep right. going forward, keep going forward, right? So we go on to the, I guess, the, the main level where yeah. they have like all of the uh the stuff out all for of display, the uh right? the room things set up. displayed yeah right. they have a room on display to say like here's the thing downstairs and this is what it would look like if you bought this set with that set there blah 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 and that was fun i really liked that that's yeah. a really cool thing because one thing for me as a untrained designer or however you want to say it is i don't know anything as far as what goes together and what mm-hmm. looks together. So it's a really good starting point to be like, well, I do like, for example, this couch, mm-hmm. right? But what would look good with the couch? Well, here it is. Here's this. Here's you a know, rug. Uh, right. uh, yeah, here's a rug and here's um, some Coffee plates table. and here's yeah. some uh, you know other decor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's cool to put things together. I like that. In our next uh, segment, we have an interview with a real estate agent. And I asked her, so just kind of a little foreshadowing, about the tiny homes. And the reason I asked her about that is uh, at Ikea, it felt like every, I want to say, sixth display, it felt like, was, do you want a tiny home? Check out this tiny home. And I was like, is that a thing? It's weird. So going into a little bit with the the tiny homes, my college roommate, Austin, actually was on an episode of My Tiny Home or whatever it is on whatever HGTV or DIY channel, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And he has a tiny home. And so I was like, this is... Look at this, Ikea and mm-hmm. Austin. Yeah, yeah, they have a couple of rooms set up where it's like, here, check out this 980-square-foot right. apartment. And yeah. then this one is a 450-square-foot apartment, which I may have had a home where there's a room bigger than that sometimes. And I'm just like, wow. But you see how much they can actually – and I've seen that firsthand in Germany. A lot of people live that way in much smaller mm-hmm. areas. So uh, that's I, uh, that's where I just assumed the Ikea there was going to be that way because of that and i was kind of surprised to see the that they didn't make much difference uh in their style designs uh when they set up shop here so i was so yeah so going on that main floor it was really impressive like i said to to have all of those sets out and and showing you what decor goes with what so i really like that now then you go downstairs oh my god okay so this is where yeah this is where i needed emily so yeah. it was so overwhelming. You had, here's something for $2. Here's something for $100. Here's something for $6. Here's something for a penny. Here's something, you know, it was just like, what am I looking at? And yeah. like, 
I was like, oh, God, and Emily, you know, she's a veteran, so she's just going through like, oh, look at this fork. This is a cute fork. I was like, I don't know, is it? But I will say this. Everything there, it felt like at least, was so reasonably priced. You know, given the name Ikea, at least for me as an outsider, never have gone there before, I just assume, oh, successful brand has to be expensive, right? Like, so you have Walmart, right? And Walmart is Walmart. Like, we all know Walmart. Like, that's going to be your save the money and we're all going there to save the money. So that's how they make the money. I was always assuming that Ikea being Ikea was going to be, you know, $60 for a fork or $700 for a set of uh, napkins, you know, Mm -hmm. or whatever. No, it wasn't even close. Everything was great. We actually did get a set of knives and spoons and forks. So it was really cool. Uh, we didn't get try the, the, the Swedish meatballs though. I, mm-hmm. I was after I mm-hmm. left and I told, I don't remember who, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, a gotta parent or something like that. I was like, yeah, I went to Ikea. They're like, did you get the meatballs? I was like, mm-hmm. no, gotta get the meatballs. So have you had the meatballs? I have, I, and I'm a fan of Swedish meatballs, uh, to begin with, obviously, you know, they're, they're pretty easy to screw up. So you may have had bad experiences with them, but they've got some other stuff in there too. Obviously, you know, they've got like a whole cafeteria you saw. Up there. Oh, you can get, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if meatballs aren't your thing, you can stop there and get, you know, a sandwich and a salad and a drink and a, you know, all kinds of stuff. You can sit at the buffet. I mean, you can do all kinds of neat right. stuff. Yeah, IKEA is very reasonably priced on some things. You can also spend some upper stuff that's there if you if you want to. But they keep things reasonably priced. There's so many variances of styles and colors. You know, it's it's really fun. I will say this was one of my one of my big criticisms of the of IKEA, and it's actually more of a criticism of a lot of places that I see doing this. Hey, Aldi, IKEA, some of you other places that are starting this trend that I've noticed. I don't want to bag my own stuff. Every cashier was like, yeah. ring it, ring it, ring it, and then it would just sit, and I was like. All right, is there someone to like put that in a bag? They're like, no. Yeah. I was like, I got to do it? They're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, no yeah. wonder this is uh, half off because I'm doing half the labor here. I don't like that. I hate that trend. That's how they keep you giving you low prices while they keep getting record profits, Tom. <laughs> that's how, that's how well, capitalism I don't like that works. Part. That was the only thing. Yeah, that left a, a little bit of a sour taste yeah, in my mouth. There is a trend of that in, in a lot of places. And they say that it's like, well, tell we keep prices low. And I'm like, really? Because I, I feel like your CEO is probably making a whole crap ton of money. So, yeah, I mean, I still feel like you could have somebody bagging groceries, but all right. Well, not even that. It's just like, okay, so I've got to pay attention to the price to make sure that one, I'm under budget. Mm-hmm. Two, that you rang it up correctly because human error yeah, happens. Right. And now then on top of that, I have to put in however it should go into a bag the items that I purchased. No, I don't like I don't like self-checkouts either, though, going a little bit farther. I don't like self-checkouts. I'm not getting paid to work at Target. Uh, I'm not getting paid to go to Walmart. So I'm not going to do your job. Well, but because I can do it faster than a lot of the people doing it there. No, like a, no, yes. you can't. Because oh, if something goodness. rings up a dollar twenty nine, that was supposed to be eighty nine cents or whatever it is, then you got to sit. And they have one person for six of these, you know, self checkout yeah. registers. You have to hope that they're not assisting another customer. Then yeah. they come, to, like, just give me a person, and they can override the the price. <laughs> just give me a person. Well, you, you know? know what though? Even though the people that you get there, they can't do that either. Steve, Steve, I need a price change. You got to wait on the manager who's over there helping customer service and they got to walkie talkie them and get them all the way over here. I mean, I yeah, seen- I guess, I guess I remember when I was a assistant manager at high V and we would have oh, those well, issues. Yeah. I would I- just go like, yeah, it's fine. Right, like but see, to, yeah, High V is, is it works on a much different. It works on that uh, aspect of what you're talking about. I mean, they're very like, hey, let's get these customers in and out of here. Let's not make them wait on people. 
let's move right. them along. Hy-Vee's very, uh, very has a, a very determined focus on that, and it shows. And and you know what I mean? That's a, a you know, other stores probably could stand to do that for sure. Yeah, I just I just don't like the the self checkout, and I don't like the self bagging. So IKEA, the one criticism I have of you, and you, we know that you're listening. Uh, give me give me a, a sacker. You know, give me someone that, that puts it. Oh, and these huge. Oh, oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. I love this, actually. Love it. I almost criticized it. I take it back. I love their carts. They they yeah. slide from left to right, yes. and they go forward and backwards, mm, right. which another credit to the IKEA customer. And I've only been there once, so maybe it's not that way. But credit to you, IKEA customers, for your being invested in IKEA. And what I mean by that, everyone was shopping. I didn't see anyone with their head down looking, looking at, their, at phones. their phones. Like right. everyone was like, we're here to have fun. And they were like sitting in the couches on the displays. And then when they're downstairs, they're going through the bins of napkins or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Tim and Tom. Apple employees. That's the, that's the job of the future, isn't it? Apple like employee, Apple's right. never going anywhere. They make right. more per square foot than any other store in the country. That is a fact. Per wow. square foot of their stores, they make more money than any other company in wow. the United States of America. That's right? Impressive. Yeah. So, wow. Right? Yeah, that's impressive. Must be brilliant people <laughs> to be hired as an Apple employee. Uh, well, okay. fun fact, they like art. And with art comes weird designs. And with weird designs typically comes a lot of glass. And an Apple employee apparently always has their head in their phone and now Apple employees are getting concussions, apparently, because they keep running into the glass at their headquarters. What are you doing, Apple? You're supposed to be the wave of the future. How am I supposed to trust the future when the future job can't even keep their head up and keeps running into glass? Pull your head out of your apps. Yeah, pull right. your head out of your apps. That should be the name of this episode. Right. I like that. Pull your head yeah. out of your apps. <laughs> yeah. So apparently what they did to hopefully remedy the the uh, issue that they had Warning is track. they put – No, well, <laughs> s- somewhat. They were putting sticky notes on the glass. Oh, God. So like, hey, do you see that like bright pink or bright yellow yeah, sticky well, note? However, this is because- easier. Frost the glass then. What are you doing? Well, God. but what does that say about the future? Well, I mean, hey, yeah. guys. So we have this brand new headquarters. It's amazing. This year's budget did take a little bit of a hit. As you know, we had to frost the glass because people kept running into the glass. Like, mm. good night. Just walk. You don't have to do never, that. Never underestimate the stupidity of the public at large, Tom. I want to make sure it's very clear that we are making a declaration that any merchandise or slogans involving the terms pull your head out of your apps uh you will be sued that's ours that is us that is ours pull Pull your your head head out of your your apps tim and tom i want to quit social media talk me off the ledge or push me off why tell me tell me what well uh, what's what's good with this social tell people why you want to get rid of it Everyone's just so um, we're not going to get into the issue of what is going on in the country because we're kind of in agreement and it feels like we just be yelling into microphones. But obviously there was a school shooting that is very tragic with every school shooting. It seems like sides are being taken. That's the given, right? So that's the elephant in the room. That's the subject matter of what made me bang my head up right. against the wall. It's the gun control so, debate. We will not debate gun control, but the gun control debate is, has, has spurned Tom's feelings. 
So this is this is why I get so upset with it. You're just yelling at a wall. No one's mind has ever been changed from a meme, from one of these I don't know who you are viral videos where a guy either holds a gun or a guy either takes apart a gun. That's never changed anyone's mind. All you're doing is you're patting each other on the back. You're saying like, I'm going to share this, right? The second amendment also says this. Remember that anti-gun and everyone that's anti-gun goes, Oh yeah, you're so right. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? These people are so stupid. (laughs) Right. So that's one thing that happens or, and this is the more annoying of the two. Someone goes like, well, actually you're wrong. And then you go like, Oh God. And you hit your, you hit your hand on your head and you go, let's follow this. Cause what else do I got going on in my life? Yeah. And then you see this like, well, George Washington said this, but then the later Abe Lincoln said this. And then in the constitution, yeah. they wore yeah. wigs and then blah, 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 blah. And then it either goes into like, let's just agree to disagree or someone gets blocked. And then if someone gets blocked, that person that got blocked, cause your friends most likely with both people, They'll put some pseudo passive aggressive, like, guess not everyone's feelings can be as strong as the Second Amendment or, you know, some <laughs> malarkey like that. Or pull and your head like, out of your apps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so you're just like, wow, what are we doing? Yeah. And so it's mm-hmm. just becoming nauseating by, I mean, it's either or. It's either everyone's patting each other on the back because, don't you agree with me? I need people to agree with me. Or, one person disagrees, and then all your people that you wanted that do agree with you jump on your bandwagon, and then we attack this person because they're wrong because their view stance isn't like my view stance. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. And it's just like, hey, man, uh, yep. talk to someone in person. That's all I'm saying. Talking to someone in person, one, in my opinion, gets rid of the online ego, I call yes. it. I can easily type to you and say, well, sir, you are dumb, right? But if me and you are talking, especially you, Tim, because you're a bigger guy, you might not be so bold to be like, hey, I think you're actually pretty stupid. Don't you think so? And you're like, you know, you don't say that to someone face to face. So if you really want change, you do it face to face. Facebook is great to share. This this is how I view social media. This is the Tom's view of social media. Facebook, you share events, life events, right? Did you go to a concert? Did you see a comedian? Did you get married? Did you break up with someone? Did you get a new job? Facebook, right? Ah, that's great. Share that stuff. That's what Facebook is for. Twitter. Twitter's for rapid conversations, right? Monday Night Raw's on. Oh, my God. Did you see the first hour? Oh, my God. Seth Rollins wrestled for an hour. The guy's Super had Bowl. a stupid. Yeah. Right. Super Bowl. Oh, my God. Did you see that third down conversion? Da, 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 da. That's Twitter. Mm-hmm. Instagram is check out my life. You know how cool mm-hmm. my my life is? Mm-hmm. Photos. Look at my pets. Look at all that. Photo. Yeah. Look at that. Look at my food. Look at my baby. Right. Look at my house. Look at yeah. my car. Or right. look at someone else's car. Right. You know? <laughs> like whatever yeah. it is. Right. That's Instagram. Snapchat is stupid. It's dead. It's, don't go on Snapchat. So those are your three big ones, right? That's how you do it. Oh, and, and by the way, dogs are good for all three platforms. <laughs> to share, all, just yeah. share dogs all the mm-hmm. all So the thing. I, I agree with you. There is... All of everything you described is the majority of what you'll see, especially when we get into these public policy debates surrounding tragedies and things of other nature, obviously. You get a lot of that. Yes. I think any of you out there listening right now should probably really hard or take a real hard assessment on whether or not you think you can actually debate or not. Because if you're not there to actually debate and you don't know how to 
actually have a free flowing of ideas back and forth, then stop messing it up for everybody like Tom. You're really just, you're annoying and you're being mean. There's one thing, I don't mind the memes so much because if you post a meme, I, you know, I'll choose to respond or not. But if you start using them as counter arguments to something, that's where you're like, dude, what are you doing? What are you talking about? And, right. and also, also, I'm also the thing like, if you post a meme, do not be shocked or appalled that somebody said something to you. You just publicly made a statement out loud that's probably stupid because that's what memes generally are. They're generally full of logical fallacies. They're generally not a complete sentence. They generally don't infer the context and the complexities involved in the thing that's going on. You can't have a one-line sentence in a picture explain the multifaceted problem that is gun violence. Well, I wish you would explain that to 99% of Facebook right. users because that is what you see. So the now I've time. even, it, and it's easy to get sucked in. I got sucked in and did more of it this time than I wanted because it is a thing I'm very passionate about. And I see mm-hmm. so many people out there just spitting, Tom, I think the thing that needs to be reformed more so than guns is logical fallacies. Nobody listens to themselves. Nobody has a counter thought. Nobody goes, wait a minute, is that real? Is that logically possible? If I had to refute that, what would I say? Nobody thinks for a second and they just say or post whatever. I'm like, do you not understand Mm -hmm. that's your BS filter? That's your BS filter to sit here and go, oh, an AR-15 isn't an assault rifle because nothing's an assault rifle. Like, are you really trying to argue semantics or are you trying to, to argue a stance on, on a conceptual idea? Stop it. If you're not involved in any of that, if you're not really trying to say, hey, guys, let's get a shared compromise that we can suggest to our politicians or something along those lines. I'd like to get a good judge of what people who don't think like me feel, right? Like, if you're not actively doing that, if your point is to tell somebody they're wrong, then you are being wrong. If that's just your whole point, if you're sitting sit there, right. uh-uh, you're stupid. And Right, but yeah, that's all we do on Facebook. That's, that's all we do on Facebook because, like you said, you don't have the filter of me staring you in the face. A guy told me that I talked like a effing five-year-old in a comment, which is just bizarrely not true and just not you know what i mean so i just don't even know i'm like there is in no way that you could actually think that even by what i wrote nor is there any way that you would have said that to me if i was yeah you're at least a sixth grader face you know what yeah. i mean I, yeah i'm at least a middle school education here all right <laughs> and so I did get pulled into the woods and kind of had to start taking a step back too, realizing that I'm going to say a term here that's going to sound like I'm saying rude things about people, but it's a metaphor. The idiot doesn't know he's the idiot. Like, I'm oh, not saying, no, I know right? that. So I'm not saying all these people are idiots that I'm talking to. You know, I mean, some of them absolutely are. Um, at least if they're being idiotic in, in this regard. You just kind of have to take that like, oh, yes, I listed out seven things with you know what I mean? With a with a reason of why X, Y, and Z won't work, and they just said the same thing they said before and called mm-hmm. me stupid. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. because you don't realize. You don't understand that what you're doing is a logical fallacy or what you're doing is an in-game stop point to the conversation. Like, you don't realize it. You don't get it. But I don't know how to make those people realize that. I don't know. But, but you don't I, need to. But you, you don't, don't need, need to. to do it online. Right. You don't need to. You don't need to online. That's very true. Because it is much easier to do that in person. Because you can just go, huh? Really? You hear yourself right. talk, man? Really? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so I will say that this time, even in light of that, I had, this was just me personally. I was feeling like I've had a surprising amount 
of, we'll say it, I will tell you, I won't get into arguments and, and bring on the debate. Uh, Tom, you know this, but the listeners, I am not, I don't want to say I'm anti-gun, but I think there, there's definitely something we could do to prevent, you know, easy purchase of firearms for people. I had a surprising amount of pro-gun, you know, leave my guns alone enthusiasts actually have meaningful suggestions of compromise and back and forth. Now, a lot of these started as an angry shouting match and one or both of us would go, Hey man, look, I'm, I, I realize that maybe you took what I said the wrong way. It's hard to infer tone in text. It was not my intention. I'm sorry. And if this word is what set it off, I'm, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? Like one or both of us would do that. And then the other one would be like, you know, you're right. My bad. You know, I'll apologize too. Right. I had that happen a lot and I was bewildered. And I was like, if I just blocked all the bad people, like, you know what I mean? I was like, or if people just block me, I'm like, what's going on. Right. So I asked some friends, I was like, Hey man, are you experiencing this? And they were like, Oh my God, I was thinking the same thing. So I think there's a lot more active conversations going on that are happening from a stance of compromise. And particularly in this particular issue, the, the, the thing with this is it's typically, it's like, yeah, it's in the news. And then we're on to the next thing. And nobody's thinking about it until the next one. We've said it here on the show, right? Oh, the one with the kids. And then the other one with the kids and another one with the kids. This one isn't going away as quickly. And Google has even put out their data showing like normally it spikes and drops down and this spiked and has stayed and just keeps staying. Like the, the amount of searches, the amount of people seeking information mm-hmm. about politics. So something different has sparked in the national conversation about it. So I'm happy for that. And I think social media was a useful tool in that regards. Now, I wish it was easier and it wasn't cluttered with all the nonsense, but I do feel like you do would get some of that, even if you wa- if we all had to get in a room all of a sudden, right, in a large event space, and start talking out these things, there would be a lot of shouting matches, and there would be some threats of violence, and there would be some names called, until people started figuring out, hey man, don't talk to me that way. Let's figure this out. We can put our hands together. I think social media is still new enough that people are starting to figure it out, and, and then some are turning away even, like you said. I mean, there's ways to use it, I think without engaging that you can just say, all right, well, clearly I can't talk about politics on Facebook, so I'm just going to block any political posts. Cause you can tell them, I don't want to see this kinds of posts and stuff. It'll be harder to completely remove yourself from it, obviously, because right. people share things, but I think there's ways you can minimize this. Still have social media. Cause I still like the connectability to, I mean, anybody instantly around the world. And if something major is going on, we might know about it on Facebook live before we know about it anywhere else. If aliens landed, in front of Union Station right now, we'd find out about it before Fox News told us about it because of Facebook Live. So, I mean, there's some some benefit to it. But, yes, I've thought about turning away and have at times where I'm just like, I can't do it because you get sucked in and then you're like, I'm being part of the problem. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And I think it's also, with Facebook specifically, uh, a little bit also of like, you don't always have to accept everyone's friend request, right? right? So I know that I work with you and that's cool. And I say hi to you at work, but you smell weird, and I don't really like what you say, even though I can be cordial. So I'm not going to be friends with you on Facebook. And that's not mean. I hate hate when people at work be like, hey, be my friend. I'm like, why? You don't know. I've talked to you once, but you know my name. I try to avoid um, especially anybody that would have any sort of supervisory or managerial role above me or under me to not be connected to them on social media because of that, because I will, I might be talking politics at any given moment and I don't want any sort of ill feelings in that regard to hinder how I'm treated at work. That's like you said, it's a, it's a connection of people that I'm choosing to at least be willing to listen to and see, uh, at the time being. And like, I don't trust that you will take what I'm willing to let people hear in the right way. Exactly. But you know where this all came from is this weekend, uh, on top of going to Ikea, I also uh, went to Kansas City Fighting Alliance. Nice. And 
this is where I had the epiphany. And I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but I felt this way. It almost gave me a cold sweat. And then I started looking at things different. And that's where the social media was like, I don't even like this anymore. It's stupid. Is I don't, I'm not an expert on mixed martial arts, but I've obviously been watching it uh, longer than your average person, right? And mm-hmm. so I know things. Obviously, I know fighters really well. I've trained here and there. And I was listening to all these dumb people. And it was something that you said that made me think back to where this all started from. Is an idiot doesn't know that they're an idiot. Mm-hmm. And I was listening in the stands because I didn't work this event. I was just viewing it. I was listening to the stands of idiots. But to them, they were like, no, no, no. So obviously in this situation, what you would do is you would kick at the knee and that would break the leg. And you go like, you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. But you don't know and you're an idiot. And then I started getting a cold sweat where I was like, if I'm am talking about politics, am I an idiot? <laughs> yeah, like, uh-huh. I don't think I'm an idiot, uh-huh. but I could be an idiot but, because yeah. that guy or that girl thinks she knows this topic. And I obviously know that she don't know what she's talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. And so then I was like, why well, am not even going to share anything anymore ever? I'm not going to yeah. share anything anymore. And then I was like, well, then why do you share things? Because all you do is you either get a pat on the back, which who cares? That just reinforces what you already thought. So what good does that do? Or you get into an argument and what good does that do? Cause you have to work and you have to spend time with people face to face, spend time with people face to face. And by the way, Kansas City fighting Alliance, that was their 25th show. And I've been to every single one, but two, and that was their best show to date. So nice. if you're into the mixed martial arts, come out because it is a fun time. Tim and Tom. Tom, the news broke. You were wrong. Eric Hosmer is gone. Oh, did I say he was going to stay? Yeah, you said you thought he might because he might get the talked into the George Brett legacy. Well, you should have. So there's, yeah. So both sides of that argument is, yeah, you want to be the legacy guy that Mm -hmm. always has a free meal in the city where you're beloved or where you're beloved at. Uh Uh, But then on the other side, in this instance, if you're going to suck, be in a nice city. And and make 44 million more dollars. That can buy you all those meals. Yeah, right. So, well, over the course of the contract, yeah. Right, but I was going to say, you know, because both teams are going to suck next year. Sorry, Royals Of course, right. It's going to be garbage. But if you're going to suck, and so are the Padres, they're going to suck too. But if you're going to suck, you might as well be next to a beach, right? Right, right. Get on on a jet ski. They always say money doesn't buy you happiness, but you've never seen a sad person on a jet ski. That's all I'm saying about that. Yeah, Eric Hosmer is gone. I will say this. One cool thing that I have seen reported from ESPN, I even think uh, in his press conference he mentioned it, he's wearing the number 30 for Ventura, who passed away a couple years ago, in honor of him. So I thought that was a cool move. It is, Like, if you're going to go to a new team, obviously you want a fresh start. Typically, with that comes a new number. And for that to be 30 because of Ventura, I thought that was a kudos to him. And the Padres, I think, had to, like, the guy's like a hitting coach or something who technically had that number for the Padres. So, I mean... Uh, but that guy wore that number when he was a player. So, you know what I mean? Like, I think they had to go to him and be like, hey, man, you cool with this? And, and you know, I mean, he, clearly he was. So that's, you know, I mean, that's fun. Yeah, that is a neat thing that they did that he did there. Hey, another uh, story. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Let me pull it up. It's a Chiefs story. But did you see the new Chiefs? Well, potentially mm-hmm. next year, the new Chiefs jersey. Uh, let me pull it up. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Here, you pull it up because I can't say it. No, name. It's, it's of, you're talking about the <laughs> Dr. Duvernay Tardif. Laurent Dubonnet yeah. Tardif. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. going to be a doctor, uh, either is or soon, right? Uh, he's finishing mm-hmm. his, his doctorate and has asked if he can put MD at the end of his name. Duvernay Tardif, so, MD. So, 
So here's here's my thought process on that. And, and thank you for saying his name because I did not have confidence saying it. LDT. On one hand, yeah. Yeah. Put the MD on it because you know how hard it is to get that? Uh-huh. That's awesome. Do it. On the other hand, because some of these things are so flaky, let's not forget Shaq's a doctor. <laughs> right. So there you go. Yeah. Shaq has his doctorate yeah. from, yeah. you know, whatever university. I think it's LSU where he went to college. So – are we going to put it on Shaq? Because let's be honest, he's not a doctor. Right. Like he's a doctor like Dr. Pepper. He's not a doctor well, like can actually well, do something. And what other professional titles would be, what else would we, you know what I mean? Are, are there anything, is it anything, is it just doctors? Anything else? Is yeah. a rocket scientist get there, uh, you know? <laughs> or, or, or dentist, DDS. Yeah, right. If I, I, I was a certified pharmacy technician for a while, do I get CPHT on there? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> maybe. But I do. Think for this one special occasion because of how hard it is, and because he wants it. I don't think other people necessarily want it. Like for example, I use the I use Shaq. I don't think Shaq's actually going to put MD on there. You know, if he were playing. But for this, yeah, give it to him. I like that. Let's let's have a doctor on the front line of the Kansas City Chiefs. I like that. Good LDT MD. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Love it. Laurent Duvernay Tardif MD. LDT MD. That's it. That's just put that on there. LDT MD. <laughs> Right? Yeah, just put the initials. You know what it is. Tim and Tom. We're going to come back. We're going to take a break real quick. But we're going to talk to Stacey Saladin, one of the best realtors everywhere in the world, but specifically Kansas City because that's her her area of operation. We're going to talk to her about all kinds of stuff about the real estate market here in Kansas City and just real estate in general coming up when we return. To Tim and Tom. Fun fact, in 1916, the German Empire allowed citizens to take passport photos with their dogs. Bring that back. They want to shoot me down. Oh, we think he better than us. They going to shoot me down. Said he's so fly. They going to shoot me down. They'll be posted outside just to shoot me down. Don't say nothing to police for they shoot me down. They'll be marching in the streets if they shoot me down. Tell me, listen, don't speak or they shoot me down. What these people don't see, you can't shoot me down. Tim and Tom. This episode of Tim and Tom is brought to you by your business. Tim and Tom's listeners could be hearing about your business right now. They could be hearing your business's address. Or your business's website address. Or even your business's phone number. But they're not hearing that right now, are they? If you want the listeners of Tim and Tom to know more about your business, contact us at timandtomkc at gmail.com. Tim and Tom. Tom, you mentioned to me that you want to know more about some real estate. Of course. Obviously, uh, when you want to do that, at Tim and Tom, we accept only the best, so we're going to go to the best realtors out. I mean, that seems seems easy enough to do. So we're going to go to Keller Williams Realty Partners. Did you know they're the largest brokerage in the city, Tom? I did not. Yeah. Over $1.2 billion in sales last year, over 506 agents. Tom, we've got one of those agents here right now. And as far as I am aware, I've had some dealings with Keller Williams. Uh, this is the best. And it's I like it. Well, good. Our yeah. listeners deserve the best. So I'm glad that we can provide the best from yeah. Keller Williams. Yeah, even more than we normally do, uh, providing the best. 
uh, we're doing so now in the realty aspect of it. And we have Stacy Saladin of Keller Williams. We uh, uh, a lot of back and forth. Stacy, you know me very well. Uh, you sold um, uh, sold and and helped me buy a couple properties recently. Uh, so we want to thank you for that, and it let me know that you'd be uh, well to answer any and all of Tom's questions. Tom, you want to kick it off? What's your first question? It's more of a general question, but what should someone who's looking to buy a house, what's the steps that they need to take before jumping in and you know writing their name down on a contract? Like, what, what do they need to do? What's some things that you would suggest they be prepared for, for a, for example, first-time buyer? That's a great question, and that's something everybody should ask before they jump into it because there, there really is kind of an order of events that makes the process go a lot smoother. The very first thing, aside from finding a realtor and hiring someone to help you and represent you in your best interest throughout the process, is getting pre-approved. And what I mean by that is, is just figuring out your financing plans. If you're planning to get a mortgage, talking with a lender, going through that pre-approval process, and having that nailed down and having the letter ready to go uh, because it's a super competitive market right now. And if you're not really tight on your, on your financing plans and have that really secure, then you really are at a disadvantage when you, you know, go out there and, and make an offer on a home. Aside from the pre-approval process, the other thing that I think is really important to do when you get started is just sitting down with the realtor who's going to be helping you navigate this whole process and having a good long conversation about what you're looking for, being clear on what your your wants are, what your needs are, you know, what are the things you can't give on, just making sure that you have a really clear picture of, of what you're out there looking for. Let's go then on your side of that conversation. As the realtor, when you hear a want or wish list from a customer or, you know, a client, how do you organize that? I mean, obviously, if the client's saying, you know, like, we must have, for example, a, you know, a garage, a two-door garage or something like that, but how do you identify their once with housing availability, do you look at it as far as like, let's put this in order from, you know, one to 10, or are you just saying, I think this would be a good fit? How does, how does that work for you? Well, I listen a lot to the different things that they talk about and what they want. And I've been known to actually interview husband and wife separately uh, because they're not always on the same page and really try to kind of get down to what is that, what is that? right list that we should be starting with. The other part of your question, you know, kind of looking at the housing market and what's out there. The other thing that I'm doing as we're going through that list is piecing it all together and assessing, are they going to get what they want for what they want to spend? Like, is this a realistic list? Does it make sense? And what's the inventory like in this little niche that they're looking in? And how easy is it going to be to find options? How difficult is it going to be? And setting their expectations up front. Because if you're looking for a, for example, a $300,000 house in Southern Johnson County, it's going to be, you're going to have to be ready to be very aggressive and very competitive. And understanding that up front just helps the process go a lot smoother. Because once we get into it, especially in a market that's competitive like the one we are in right now, when the bidding starts, it goes very quickly. And you just have to be ready to make decisions on a, on a you know pretty quick turnaround. Mm-hmm. So setting that, you know, understanding what they want, giving them a, a realistic assessment of the market and how what they want fits into what's out there, just setting those expectations up front. Tom, I've personally been in the war room in these situations with Stacey and she's is no joke. I mean, it's literally like, all right, hey, this is it. Pull the trigger now. Let's go, right? You got you to gotta make a decision sometimes. Stacy. how insufferable are some, and I say insufferable, but how how lofty maybe are some expectations? Like how who's the 
the worst you've had to deal with, and why is it me? <laughs> and why is it you? Oh gosh, you know everybody just has kind of comes into it with a different perspective, and I've just learned to appreciate that some people are more educated about the market than others, and that's part of my job. And what I do is is just kind of help people feel more educated and and be prepared to to get into the game. You know, sometimes people do come into it with unrealistic expectations, and you know, one way that I try to help educate people is through showing them options and, you know, giving them ideas of what is out there in their price range. And and it sometimes doesn't take very long for them to look through options, even online and say, you know what, this isn't at all what I want. And I'm going to have to spend more to get it. For example, sometimes it just, we go through a few iterations to just learn and educate. That usually kind of helps people get to get to a better point to to know what they want to do. Well, let's have a little fun here. You were mentioning that sometimes in a uh, client's wish list, things get a little outrageous. Uh, without naming names, because Tim is on the other end, uh, what have been some of the more outrageous wishes from a client? Wow, that's a good question. I'm going to have to think for a minute because I don't that's have a fun. good answer off the top of my head. I mean, have you come across anything like that that just set you back? I mean, or is it just, I mean, are people just more often like, well, I want a pool and I want it for $250,000 and you're like, ah, well. I think the the more unrealistic than, and then just like the requirements of the house, the more unrealistic expectations are probably around, depending on the market situation, mm-hmm. saying, okay, I'm going to go home and sleep on this. You know, we'll talk about it over the next couple of days and decide if we want to make an offer. Right. When it's a when it's a situation that they're going to have eight offers that night, you can't sleep on it. Mm. Some, I mean, at least in the last couple of years, that's probably a better example of unrealistic expectations. Is just feeling like you have time to kind of think about it when you might not, and feeling like you can, as a buyer, you, you don't have the upper hand right now as a buyer. Yeah. Generally speaking, the expectation that you can come in and maybe offer less than they're asking is a you know a hot neighborhood that generally sells in a day. You're just not going to be able to do that. It's been my experience, too, with you. I mean, you've sold two homes of mine in, what, half as many years. We had multiple offers in the first weekend. I mean, there is no time to waste on these things. I think traditionally people think that that happens kind of in waves over the year, but it sounds like that has been the case now for a steady clip going for a couple of years now. Is that Am I reading that right? It has. The last two to three years has been a really good market for sellers. I would say the last year has been the best of those three years. And inventory right now, that's the reason for it. Inventory is just very low. Inventory at the end of this past month here, the end of January, was lower than it's been in over 12 years. It just keeps getting harder and harder for buyers to find homes because there aren't enough listings out there. Just as an example, the inventory that's out there at the end of January in the entire metro area is just right around 6,000 houses. And this this is kind of a crazy comparison, but... 10 years ago, there were 21,000 houses out there for sale. So are we experiencing... 71% drop in 10 years. And then over last year, it's still a 20% drop in the inventory. It's just a super, super low inventory market right now. It sounds just like astronomical numbers. So are we experiencing a large increase in population movement into the metro or is a certain population boom coming of age? Like what's happening to, to just soak it all up like are people owning four houses now i don't really think that is going on i don't think there's a huge change or huge trend from that standpoint i just think that there are fewer people who are holding back on listing their houses and this is just theory on my part but i think over the past couple of years you know every time we get 
to a presidential cycle, people kind of hold back a little bit. We see a little bit of this hesitation with the uncertainty around presidential elections. And so perhaps over the last year or so, that had a little bit to do with it. Other than that, it's it's not, uh, I don't think it has anything to do with population change or anything like that in Kansas City. So you were mentioning earlier about when people are going in some of those like rookie mistakes. Could you tell us what those are so people who are looking to, to buy don't make those? A lot. Of, I'll say that a lot of that has to do with each situation. I think it's important to listen to your agent when they give you an assessment of kind of here's the situation with this particular house that you want to buy. If it's a competitive house, you, you're going to have to be aggressive in how you go after it. And thinking that you can go in and get a deal is is probably not going to be your best approach. I think sometimes if people haven't bought a house in, say, 10 years, they're remembering a different market. They're remembering when they went in with the upper hand and when they could kind of dictate the terms and, you know, they were pulling a lot of the levers. And if that's what they remember and they don't really understand the market, they go into it thinking that they can approach it the same way. And they're not listening to their agent's advice about what they're up against and what the competition might be like on this particular house, then they're losing the advantage of, of knowing how to compete. And that's probably the biggest mistake that I see and hear about. You know, I see it on the buyer side if I'm working with a buyer client, but I also see it on the listing side. You know, when I have a house that's listed and we're getting eight offers and I see some offers come in below asking price where that agent and that buyer know that there's multiple offers, but they're still not they're still not really going after it. That's probably the biggest mistake that I see. On that buying end of it then where you've got to make multiple offers on on different things and you've got to make them quick and you've got to do these sorts of things is that leading to any sort of disdain among clientele or do they feel kind of just worn out by the process how does that affect the psyche i think it can i think that's a good question and and i think more so um you know with certain buyers who maybe have to go through that cycle multiple times you know i've sold homes as a listing agent where the agent the buyer's agent came to me and said okay, this is our sixth attempt. We've offered on six different houses and we've lost on everything. And so what do we need to do to get this house? Sometimes if a buyer goes through it that many times, they do really start to get worn out. Sometimes it gets so competitive and sometimes buyers end up paying so much over the asking price that they do sometimes come back and have a little buyer's remorse. Did I really need to do that? So looking more, let's say let's zone or zoom in a little bit here. Do you see any sort of trends at all that pop out to you lately? Or is everything just kind of on the rise uh, for uh, sellers in, in every style or, or is anything stick out? Like, do we got, you know, million dollar homes are going fast, but hundred thousand dollar homes are sitting there. Is there anything like that? Uh, as far as price ranges go, anything under about three fifty is selling very quickly. That's the price range that's super hot right now. There are still certain neighborhoods, certain areas that are in those higher price points that are still moving quickly, but they take a little longer to sell because there just are fewer buyers who can buy those homes. So from a price range standpoint, definitely the up to 350s are moving quickly. Other trends, just in terms of types of homes, do you see more people downsizing? You know, that happens, I think, as people start to retire and, and that type of thing. But I, I even see more people with even with young kids who are feeling like, I don't want this really big house anymore. Mm-hmm. I think we see fewer of the big McMansions, as they used to be called, yep. and more people looking for 
functional design in their houses. Mm -hmm. So even if you look at new construction right now, you see design changing a little bit to be more functional to where people are really using all the parts of their home. Like I said, I even see families with, with kids, younger kids who are purchasing homes where they're single level living with a basement. You know, there's more and more of what we call the reverse story and a half style that are being built because more people are looking for that that main level living. One quick question I have for you, and this is more just because I had a friend who uh, took part in this. The the tiny homes, I actually just went to Ikea the other day. They had a couple different like layouts for tiny homes. Is that a trend that's actually like gaining some traction or do you think that's just a fad? I've seen some of that online. I haven't really seen a lot of it actually happening in in real life, at least in this area. At this point, I wouldn't say it's it's a big trend that I see happening. So you had mentioned about being a part of both the selling of a home and buying of a home. And another preference uh, kind of question, which one do you prefer and which one, what are the different challenges for a realtor on both ends of that sale? Oh, wow. Well, yeah, as far as preference, I love them both. You know, there's not one that I like better. I, I love working with families who are both selling and buying and working on that whole process and getting them moved to a new home. There are, I think, a lot of advantages to a realtor who does both. There are some agents who just are considered buying agents, some who are just considered listing agents, and that's all they do. I personally see a lot of benefit in doing both because when I'm working with a buyer, for example, I have the advantage of understanding how sellers think because I work with sellers as well. Uh, And I think, you know, as you get into any kind of negotiation, that's certainly helpful. As far as challenges to either one or, you know, anything to point out on that, it really has to do with the market. I mean, working with sellers right now, it's more a matter of educating them on how the process is going to work, especially if it's going to be a quick selling home, planning around how how to go to market, how to maybe set some parameters around the sale process and the showing process and the offer process. What I mean by that is, for example, I'll give you an example from just a few months ago. I had a seller who I knew we knew the house was going to sell fast. I knew it would sell on the first day. I knew we'd probably have multiple offers. I knew they were going to have a ton of showings. And so, you know, I really worked with them on the plan of the exact time it was going to hit the market. We sent them to a hotel with their dogs for two nights. We said, just get out of the house. You're going to be in and out, in and out let's just make it a little easier on you and just go stay in a hotel for a couple days. And then we set a time frame around when we were going to review offers. So they knew exactly what was going to happen over those few days. They knew that they were going to be just hanging out in the hotel for a couple days. They knew that at five o'clock on Sunday, we were going to talk about any offers that they'd gotten over the weekend. Their expectations were set in terms of how that process was going to go. And they knew that on Sunday night, they were going to have to make a decision about something. Mm -hmm. Now with the buyer, there used to be the days where we'd look online and we'd find four or five houses and say, okay, let's go, you know, let's plan on going out next week and looking at these four houses. Those four houses aren't going to be there next week in today's market, most likely. So today with buyers, the the showing process, the going out and looking at houses is a lot different because we're we're most often going out and looking at one at a time, and we're going really quickly. So something pops up online that morning, we're on the phone saying, when can you get away from work today to go look at this because it's probably going to sell tonight. And so it's just the processes are just, you know, really different than they were even five years ago. So I I think we're highlighting some great reasons as uh, as Stacey has mentioned here. 
it varies so much on the market. It varies so much on the price point. It varies so much on the affordability of the of the buyer or the seller uh, that this is a hundred percent why you need to enlist the help of a realtor before you even think about even trying to start looking at homes. So, Stacy, what then? Do you, how long have you been doing this? How long have you been a realtor? Uh, about nine years. So what's the um, training and education like then for, for somebody to get into this? Because it sounds like you have to know and be able to figure out so much stuff. Well, there is a lot to understand, especially with changing markets. I mean, the, the licensing process is, you know, there's a certain number of hours of education you have to take. You have to pass certain exams and do continuing education. That's not the hard part. I mean, I'll be honest, it's not hard to get your license. Yeah. What's hard is being a really good realtor and really understanding what's going on in the market and understanding when it's a dynamic market, how to how to change with that, how to learn as the market changes and evolve with it. Because, you know, I got in nine years ago. I was in 2009, which was literally like the worst market we've had in I don't know how long. Right. So I don't know what I was thinking in 2009, but I jumped in and, and it's been great. I mean, I, I learned in like the worst market I could possibly have learned in, but the market's really different. It's changed. Like I said, I went from having 21,000 houses out there to look at to having 6,000 houses. So I've seen a lot of different uh, market dynamics and, and knowing how to look at the data, look at the market trends and understand them and communicate them in a way to clients is one of the most important things that I do because my job, the way I see it, a big piece of it is to educate my clients and to help them make sure they have really good information to make really big decisions off of. The hard part isn't necessarily becoming a realtor. It's, it's being a good one because there's a lot to understand and there's a lot of importance on communicating it in a way that people understand it so that they can make the best decisions for themselves. One thing I know about realtors also, and I've seen it in action uh, by watching you too, is I feel like you're never not working. How do you handle a workload like that? Like you're always taking phone calls. You're working on the weekends for showings. You're handling crazy guys who do podcasts yelling about the, the buyers of their home being unreasonable. You're, you know, you're dealing with all sorts of, of weird things going on. How, I mean, how can you juggle all that? Do you have to take a measured approach to that? How does that work out? It's something to get used to. Um, before I was a realtor, I was in corporate America for 18 years. Uh, mostly in corporate finance, did some HR and mm -hmm. some corporate real estate. Mm -hmm. But I, I came from a corporate world where I went to an office and worked from eight to five. So this is just a, this is a really different way to work, um, and it takes a little bit of getting used to. But the best way I can describe it is that my my personal life and my work life. I mean, they all just weave together. There's really not a separation. And you know, for some people, they don't like that. They like to be able to shut off and and just stop. But for me, if I need to go do a, have a personal appointment in the middle of the day, I can do that. I have mm. the flexibility to do that. Everything just kind of fits itself into to my schedule and um, I, I adapt when I need to, to my clients' needs. I have buyers who come in from out of town and, you know, they're only here for a couple of days or, you know, whatnot. And I, I need to be flexible and, you know, offers come in at 10 o'clock at night and it's not unusual to be on the phone at midnight with multiple agents trying to get it figured out. So um, I appreciate the flexibility I have during mm -hmm. most of my days if I need to do something personal. Um, and I know that I'm going to need to make a commitment to, to do the midnight phone calls and the weekend work sometimes mm -hmm. when it calls for it. Well, I personally apologize for all of the bad stuff <laughs> <laughs> we put you but I, I do know this. Um, yeah. I mean, we clearly shown why people need uh, a realtor and why Tom Stacy 
Saladin here is a perfect one to use. You know what else? She does? Sounds like it. You know what else she does, Tom? She maintains a lifelong relationship with her clients. She, I've been to so many like uh, holiday parties now at her place. We get regular mailings, and I've gotten to meet so many people who. I, she must have helped everybody in the city because everybody just comes around. It's it's great. So, Stacey, uh, what what's some contact info if people want to get a hold of you and see if if you can help them out? Oh yeah, my um, well, my website is stacysaladin dot com and it's Stacy with an e y s t a c e y s a l a d i n dot com, and my Gmail address is stacy dot saladin at gmail dot com. And my phone number is 913-269-0900. Any lasting uh, piece of advice for anybody thinking uh, that, that they're on the fence, either buying or selling a home? Any any kind of words of, of calming or anything before we go? Uh, I would say if you are thinking of selling, now is the time. And I'd be happy to walk you through mar- a complete market analysis to educate you on kind of what to expect in terms of pricing and and timing of a sale. I will say as a seller also, I I do think that it's easy to think in this market that that you can do a for sale by owner and you can. And in all honesty, you probably can sell it by yourself. But the important thing to remember is that a realtor is going to get you a lot more exposure to your house. They're going to get a lot more buyers through your house. And the key to higher prices right now is creating that competition in that environment. And that only comes from getting as many people through as possible and networking with as many agents as possible. And it's hard to navigate that kind of interest when you've got six, eight offers coming in, understanding how to communicate with all those different agents and buyers bringing you offers, knowing where your negotiating advantages are and getting the best deal possible. That's that's not something that, that is easy to do if you're not in it every day. So that would be my advice to sellers. My advice to buyers is don't be scared. I've made it sound really hard to buy a house right now. But if you have a good agent who knows how to find out about inventory that might not be on the market yet, knows what's coming so you can plan ahead and is is a very good co-op agent, works well with other agents and is an agent that people want to work with, you're going to be going in with an advantage. Those would be my pieces of advice to buyers and sellers right now. Really good advice. Um, see? see she I like it. This is very you. informative. I told, you, I told you she knows her stuff. Stacy. we really appreciate you coming on here, uh, spending some of your time, which I know you've probably got to get some paperwork done and some calls made here as soon as we're done uh, with this. So I appreciate you coming on, and we urge anyone to go out and, and uh, get a hold of you if they're looking to buy or sell. Well, I sure appreciate you having me. Thanks, guys. Tim and Tom. So, Tom, there's a lot to the real estate market. You need a, a good realtor. Yeah, obviously. Like she said, she gave uh, some good information on why to have a realtor. I mean, obviously, the more exposure, the more competitiveness, the higher the price. That's obviously what you're trying to do when you sell a house. And obviously, on the sw- uh, other end of that is buying a house. You obviously want to get the most bang for your dollar. Uh, you want to come up with a wish list that makes sense. So I think she covered all bases there. So really liked it. Really informative. Again, uh, check her out on her contact information that she gave just a couple moments ago. And if you're in the uh, market to buy or sell, contact our girl, Stacy. Do it. And, and obviously personalities matter and everybody's looking for something different so obviously there are plenty of great realtors at keller williams also uh, but uh, i think the overarching is make sure you get a a 
quality realtor interview them. But I would urge you, I specifically know for uh, my taste that Stacey's a very highly qualified realtor. So we will let you soak that information up and do with it what you will while we take a break because we're going to come back and Tom's going to give us some of the coolest events happening around the metro when we come back to Tim and Tom. Fun fact, chocolate manufacturers use 40% of the world's almonds. Tim and Tom. I didn't do much this weekend, so what can I do this weekend if I want to make up for that? Tell you what, Tim, we've got plenty of events. Here they go. First one, and boy, this is a good one. The 2018, it's going to be February 27th, 2018, the year of the new idea, Visit KC's annual meeting now this is open to the public that's a tuesday february 27th it starts at 4 30 goes to seven o'clock it's at the kaufman center for the performing arts uh they've got a ton of great companies that are going to be there you've got um the herford house you've got jay rieger you've got the casey beer company you've got victory and penny you've got 37 37 stake at Harris, North Kansas City. You got the Weston Bend Candle Company. All of these great companies are going to be here for a Visit KC event. Again, you have to RSVP. Tickets do cost, so be aware of that. Uh, but it's going to be amazing. It's the first ever annual meeting, and it's the hashtag How We Do KC, which I know you've seen everywhere. They've got those uh, inflatable things going around town where you can stand next to it and take a picture and all that stuff. It's going to be a great event. Like I said, a lot of amazing companies. It's going to be at the Kaufman Center for the Performing Arts. That's Tuesday, February 27th, 4.30, goes till 7. Do all kinds of networking up in there. Yeah, that is a place where if you want to know KC, this is where you know KC. Let's get into some music, all right? Wednesday, February 28th, 8 p.m. at the Truman. That's 601 East Truman Road, Kansas City, Missouri. You have COIN. Caffeine, small talk, rain up the plastic weather. I like this, man. I like the groove to it. Alright, where's Coin at? You know what, Tim? Mm. Don't do that part. I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. You talk, talk too much. much. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, one of the best alternative, I guess, modern alternative. I don't know how you classify music anymore because everything's blended. Everyone wants to be unique. Mm-hmm. Hey, look at me. I'm like everyone else. I'm unique. Whatever. But it's a great alternative band. They're going to be at the Truman. They put on a great show. They also have some other great songs that you've probably heard on 96.5, 90.9, uh, 105.1. Uh, they're going to be here. The Truman's a great venue for uh, music, so definitely check it out if you haven't been there. 
Uh, again, that's going to be Wednesday, February 28th. Concert says starts at 8 o'clock, but you know how concerts go. Could be 8.30, could be 7.45. So, yeah, that's the that's the first band that we've got up, and we've got a trio here. So the next one isn't my cup of tea, but I used to love his rock band when I was in the early 2000s as a disgruntled suburban white kid who was mad that I had to go to bed at 10.30. Now he's doing a solo act, <laughs> right, and right. he's in country. His name is Aaron Lewis, yeah. formerly of Stained. Uh, he will be in town Thursday, March 1st at 8 p.m. at the Doodoo, excuse me, the Voodoo Lounge mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. Kansas City, Missouri. Right. There's a bottle on the dresser by your ring and something. Right now I don't feel a thing But I'll be hurting when I wake Sounds like some good uh, uh, Kick back, get your whiskey uh, At the bar Maybe some, maybe some uh, The moon, or the uh, neon lights Right, of the uh, <laughs> Of the stage Definitely. glows. Yeah. Now, I will say this. I have it on good authority from multiple people, some who do, do love country and some who just casually listen to it, that Aaron Lewis puts on one of the best live performances they've ever seen. So that is from people who it's hard to impress. Uh, they have seen him in concert before. He's came into town in the past, and they say that uh, if you are in the mood for some good country music, good country music, not the – uh, bedazzled jeans and fun affliction t-shirts mm-hmm, country right, music but that right. good old you know i used to like johnny cash stuff aaron lewis is your guy and again that will be thursday march 1st at 8 p.m at the voodoo lounge all right now let's get into uh the last event that i have for you it is going to be march 2nd friday at 8 p.m again at the voodoo lounge and this guy i used to love him he was great when he had the long beard and the yarmulke, and he's a Jewish guy, white guy, singing reggae. So right there makes you just, you know, eyebrows go up and say, what? What is this going to sound like? But we have the Forest of Faith tour featuring Modest Yahoo. Moon, I thank God I'm breathing, and I pray don't take me soon, because I am here for Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know someday it'll all turn around because... Day indeed, I, I do like this uh, song. The message is fun too, man. It's a, uh, I've, I had not heard about this person until you told me you were gonna uh, have me prep this music for the show. I and I'm super glad you had me do that because now I'm gonna look into this as soon as we get out of here. 
Yeah, I tell you what, one of I will go on record. That's one of the best songs I have ever heard in my life. Right, I love it, like it yeah. from the start where it sounds like the sun is rising and just everything about it. It puts me in the best of moods. I'm going to listen to it probably 15 times after we're done recording. I love it. Modest you know Yahoo puts on a great performance. Again, that's going to be Friday, March 2nd at 8 p.m. at the Boodoo Lounge. We'll even use it as our outro for the final of the show. We typically have been using the Royal Chief. Uh, we also have a new a musical uh, group that we will be interviewing coming up soon. We'll be using their music, hopefully, if they will allow it. Uh, we like to play some local music artists, but we'll play this one out on the way out because I like it so much. And we'll play it, it a little more great. right now. You all right? Good song. Yeah, I had to clarify that uh, after we interview the guests, I'll have to make sure that they are okay with us using their Right, of course, but yes. So let me recap before we get into our favorite things of the week. Again, February 27th, the 2018 Visit KC annual meeting that's going to be at the Kauffman Center for the Performing Arts. Uh, Starts at 4.30, ends at 7, could go a little later. Then you have on February 28th at the Truman, that's Wednesday, February 28th at 8 p.m., COIN, the North American Tour 2018, will be in town. Then at the Voodoo Lounge, March 1st, that's a Thursday, at again, 8 p.m., the Songs and Stories Tour with Aaron Lewis, formerly Abstained, if you remember that band. Mm -hmm. And then March 2nd, as we just mentioned, uh, that's going to be a Friday at 8 p.m. Also at the Voodoo Lounge, you have the Forest of Faith Tour with Modest Yahoo. But I never let it get me down. (laughs) I'm just going to find every way to play this. One day, Tom. Well, Well, hey, you know, that's a very uplifting message, and it kind of goes to, at least in my opinion, uh, something to aspire to, right? Like, let's make some history. Let's come together. uh, Let's go after your goals. You know, you you can tailor it to whatever you want, but it's kind of all along those messages, right? Right. So I want to get into my favorite thing of the week, and we actually have some sound from that. Tom's favorite goes to a little bit of history made in the NASCAR field. Now, as you know, kind of generally speaking, NASCAR is a white guy sport, right? Dale Earnhardt Jr., Tony Stewart, Jeff Mm -hmm. Gordon, Jimmy Johnson. You have all of these great American white males. This past weekend was uh, NASCAR's biggest event of the year. It's to kick off their 2018 racing season. And some history was made. His name is Bubba Wallace Jr., or he goes by Bubba. His name is Daryl Wallace Jr., but he goes by Bubba Wallace. He finished second in the Daytona 500, which was the highest an African-American driver has ever placed. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got some sound here, and I thought it was really great, and it was some super emotional stuff, so let's play it here. And and as you said, those things aside, too, the Daytona 500, just to any racer ever, is like a mecca of an event. So to finish well in it of any sort is like a dream come true. Uh, for these people definitely yeah yeah for racing that is your super bowl as people like to equate everything to a super bowl mm-hmm. that is your world series that is your nba finals whatever it is that's your it's that that's level of of attention and and celebration and everything and so yeah for him being what well, you said the highest ever placing uh african-american 
is is, is is coupled on to his already probably emotional state. And here we go. If I can have your attention in the media center and up in the press box, we are now joined by the runner-up for today's 60th annual Daytona 500 here at Daytona International Speedway. And it's none other than Daryl Wallace Jr., driver of the number 43 click-and-close Chevrolet for Richard Petty Motorsports. Not only was Daryl the highest-finishing Sunoco rookie in the race today, but he's also the highest-finishing African-American driver in the Great American Race. The second-place finish. Besting the previous mark set by NASCAR Hall of Famer Wendell Scott in 1966. Bubba, that was... a a wild race out there, wild finish. Walk through this final lap for us. Daytona. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so we're going to spin forward a little bit here. His mother comes up, and they share a very emotional hug, and she's just telling him she's proud of him and so on and so forth. Yeah, definitely. So that. while you kind of get us to the next spot, yeah, she comes up on stage. He moves away from the microphone, gives a, a big embrace. You can kind of hear off mic because they weren't trying to speak into the microphone. You know, uh, she's very proud of him. He is very emotional because that's his mother, right? Mm-hmm. So after you, I mean, after you drive 500 miles anywhere, especially in a circle, you're going to have some type of emotions, at, at, at that especially speed. competing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and at that speed speed uh so we saw his mother and uh yeah here we go he gets into uh kind of what the day meant to him jesus christ mom come on now (laughs) i'm gonna talk like this (laughs) he's covered his face all right what were you saying i'm sorry i was gonna say walk through the final laps but forget the final laps walk (laughs) through just the emotion of this moment for you right now (laughs) oh it's 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 a sensitive subject but i'm just so emotional over where my family has been the last two years that i don't talk about it but it's just so hard and so having them here to support me is Pull it together, bud. Pull it together. You just finished second. It's awesome. I just try so hard to be successful at everything I do, and my family pushes me each and every day, and they might not even know it, but I just want to make them proud. And second is horrible, but it's still a good day. Um, but, yeah, I just, I just love my family and having everybody here from my mom, my sister, my uncle, everybody here just – just means a lot. Next question. Get me off this subject. Uh, so there so you go. Emotion, yeah. yeah. Uh, Bubba there getting emotional. Obviously, I, what I loved about it, first off, is one, that the raw emotions, right? We always ask all of our athletes and sport competitors to, you know, be a genuine when we're, we're asking a question, yet we train them to say nothing, right? So it's this weird contradiction of like, hey, we want an answer out of you, but don't say too much because you might get sponsors, especially in a sport like NASCAR, uh, upset and things like that. So his just raw emotion is just right there. He's laying it out for you. And then two, one of the low-key 
favorite moments that I have of that is he is so excited to, to make the history that he did. He finished second, but he's also a competitor. You know, mm-hmm. everything he does, like he said, he wants to win it. So second sucks. Yeah. And so, and so yeah. it was really great to, to see that kind of contradiction, but also appreciation uh, yeah. in just an answer that he gave when, you know, he saw his mother. That's, that's a really bitter, sweet moment for a competitor who in, in a situation where nobody uh, probably had a large expectation that you would finish as good as, as even second, but yet you finish second. Because you always think, oh, what could I have done? You know what I mean? So you have to be proud, but also, I mean, any uh, of the top-level competitors are going to have that gnawing at them like, but how cool would it have been? Right, exactly. Win it so, all. right. Yeah, so I just love it. I love the raw emotion. I love the, the competitor that you see inside of him. Uh, and I also love that, you know, hey, I'm a mama's boy too. When I see mm-hmm. my mom... I might get a little emotional. So that was fantastic. And like I mentioned, uh, the Daytona 500 is the kickoff to the NASCAR season. So now he has many races ahead of him to make some history. So uh, I'm rooting for him. Hopefully you are too after that little sound clip. And that is my favorite thing of the week. Tim's favorite. Tom, I'm a big college basketball fan. You, you're not so much. I like college basketball. I just don't like how that the athlete is yes, is right. exploited. Yeah. Right, but you're also not. I mean, you're also not like you're not flipping through and you're like, oh, West Virginia and Iowa State are on. I'm going to watch that game because of the Big Twelve Conference standings. And you don't care. You'll watch a big game if it's on. Top ranked yeah, competitors, Duke, North March Carolina. Madness, right? Yeah, exactly. So March you, Madness. I'll watch that. Especially one of the icons in NCAA basketball is CBS Sports. They hold pretty much all the major games, especially when the tournament comes around. And it's just mm-hmm. that it's an iconic setting for them is CBS Sports in almost any sport. And then one of those names of the broadcasters that most people uh, know that have any exposure to college basketball would be Ian Eagle. You know of Ian Eagle? Well, of course. One of the most iconic, smoothest voices in sports broadcasting yes. I think I have ever heard. Ian Eagle's getting ready to do a game for Syracuse versus Miami on CBS. And as some of these iconic names do, even though he's the commentator, he's wanted uh, for interviews by other local media outlets and things around the area, radio interviews and, you know, local market television interviews. Well, it just so happens, Tom, in Syracuse at WAERFM is a, a an interviewer getting ready to interview Ian Eagle, who knows Ian fairly well. It's Noah Eagle, his son. And this is the following interview. It gets real fun. Welcome to the Watsco Center in beautiful and sunny Coral Gables, Florida. I'm Noah Eagle, joined by a very special guest in uh, Ian, Jan. I'm sorry. You don't know what my is name? It? Uh, what, what, what is the first name? It's Ian. It's, it's just like Brian. You take the BR off. We've been through this. You're my son. You know right. my name. Very original, of course, yes. Uh, Ian Eagle of CBS Sports. And Ian, uh, let's start with this. How long have you been calling college basketball? It's going to be my 21st. NCAA tournament. How many years have you actually been on Earth? It's weird. Twenty-one years. No. Wow, that's it matches up well. It's, it's coincidental, strange. isn't it? Very, very coincidental. It's Twenty-one years. You've called a couple Syracuse games over yeah. the years. A grad of Syracuse in 1990. What's that like calling a game for your alma mater? Well, I go right down the middle. I think you're familiar with this. Yeah. It's uh, not a situation where you can show your allegiance. So once the game starts, it's business as usual. But that first time, the first time I called the Syracuse game as a member of the CBS Sports staff, a little bit.
bit emotional, just based on, on my background, but uh, from here on out, it's professionalism all the way. Now, you have a very distinct look, I will say that. Excuse uh, me? You have, you have the wiry frame glasses there. Yeah. Um, What's your a point? nice suit. I just want to know who inspires that. So I encourage anybody to go to our Facebook and, and look for this video because when you see these people next to each other, you, you don't even have to read the caption. You understand their father and son, and mm-hmm. they're, they're dressed alike. They look alike. They sound alike. Same yeah, same cadence, same yeah. kind of uh, smoothness, as you mentioned, and kind of delivery. Well, and just, yeah, yeah I mean, just artful at the at the interview and really relaxed and calm. So, and, and it keeps going. Look, exactly. Who, who would you say you look at as inspiration for your fashion? Wait, so your point is that you've copyrighted this look? No, 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 no. I, I took this look you're, from you. Now, I'm asking the questions here. You're not asking any <laughs> questions. I just want to know. Who inspires your look overall? It's a it's a good look. I'm I'm complimenting yeah. the look. Thanks, thanks. I mean, I have a side part. I have mm. hard glasses like right. you do. I, I'll go on record and and I'll just say it. You actually started with those glasses, and then you encouraged me to change yeah. my look. So, if, if America needs to know, yes, Noah started the look. I jumped on his bandwagon, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I just yeah. I figured we'd get that out there, you know, elephant in the room, but that's okay. Yeah. Who brought you into this world? Maybe that's the larger question. Right. That We're not we giving credit to my mother, I feel like. She needs to get credit. Elisa out there definitely needs some credit. You know, you also have a daughter at Syracuse University. I'm not sure if, if you knew that. I do. I do know Who that. are you more proud of, her or, or me? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, how long is this interview? I'd like to maybe fill some time until I have to actually yeah. answer that. I'm proud of both of you. Equally, that's Aaron Eagle, who's a freshman at Syracuse. I'm sorry? Aaron Eagle, E R I N. Gotcha. I would tell you she'll never watch this interview, by the way. Yeah, probably not. Last question for you. I, I like this jacket. A- any chance that uh, this might be my size? What size are you? On? I-, I don't want to reveal that to the public, but yeah. hey, maybe try this on? Uh, how about not? How about uh, maybe work a few more years and, yeah. and see if you can. All right, I get it. Work my way up. That's fine. Thank you maybe for your time. Jacket on thank you for road. your time, first of all. And Great. second of all, enjoy the game. Enjoy the broadcast. No, thank you. And uh, clean your room. Yeah, understandable. I've heard that too many times. For anybody not in the know, uh, one of the iconic things a CBS broadcast announcer, especially if that level has, is they have an emblem of the CBS logo on their jacket. It's almost like a badge of honor to be considered good enough to be in that spot and wearing it when you're calling like the prime game of CBS. So uh, is what they were alluding to in there. It's just fun to watch. You know what I mean? Like two, uh, a father and son team that are clearly uh, really excellent in their field and then just be relaxed around each other and kind of fill us in on a little bit of a, you know, behind the curtains of the family feel. I liked it a lot. Of course. Yeah. It's always great to see, Hey, these people aren't just, you know, making iconic calls or, uh, living this game 24 seven. There's something more to them than just their job. And it's cool to see, like you said, behind the curtain, a little bit more of who they are, uh, show some more personality outside of the lane that they always drive in. So I thought it was great as well. I thought it was awesome. Tim and Tom. Tom, we had a fun show, man. We got into some uh, kind of deep subjects early on, but then we had amazing informational interview with, with Stacy Saladin. And then all the events and our fun stuff of the week, of course. But any parting words before we go? 2018, do not forget, as we go into the month of March, is the year of the new idea. So come up with something that you've been working on and go after it, man. Hey, be like Bubba Wallace over there and just, you know, be proud of who you are and go after your dreams. Just do it. Or don't. Yeah, or don't. Or if your dream is to not go after your dreams, then... Yeah. Right? 
Hey, my goal, my, my thing that I always say at, at the end of any time I'm giving advice is, uh, hey, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, eh, it's okay, don't do it. But if it doesn't, do it. I don't care. Do it. Right, yeah. Or not. Just, just don't affect me. Or maybe not. Unless it's positive. So you should come back next week and catch another fun, exciting episode of Tim and Tom. Or not. Or maybe. Or, yeah. yeah I mean, just, if you're comfortable. You know, hey, do I mean, you. Yeah, That's basically yeah, what we're saying. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we'll inspirational see. Inspirational as we play this inspirational right. music behind us. And we will be back with another inspirational episode next week of Tim and Tom. The annual number of worldwide shark bites is 10 times less than the number of human on human bites in New York City. <laughs> <laughs>